We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What is going on, Roto Grinders? I'm your host, Dean, for the Best Ball Hot Take Show presented by Nerd Dog Fantasy. Join me today, as always, batting first, leading off. Chris Prince, you guys know him better as Beer Makers fan. Beer, what's going on, dude? How are things in your world? Things are good, Dino. We're getting that much closer to football. It's starting to, to feel real. We're getting, we're getting practice reports. We're getting David Montgomery injuries. We're getting Cordero Patterson hype pieces. I mean, it, it, it's starting to feel real right now. So uh, getting locked in on a lot of these best fall drafts, so many different places to play, uh, especially Underdog, who the sponsor of this show. Been doing a lot of those drafts. Still plenty of room in that tournament. You know, DraftKings has launched. FanDuel has launched best fall. Uh, so there's a lot of places to play out there, but uh, loving underdog fantasy so far. Been a lot of fun. And like I said, football's right around the corner. It, it's just good to have back in our lives and uh, ready to talk some players, some teams, some some uh, some processes you want to work through and uh, lineup construction. So a lot to get to here. Yeah. So on previous shows, we talked about, you know, all the teams we like, uh, players on teams specifically. And we'll talk about players as well, too. But this is also about, hey, especially an introduction, if you never played basketball before, how do I construct a lineup? And you you certainly see people on Twitter talking about zero RB strategy, robust RB strategy, and stacks. Like, what are stacks? Do you stack up in, uh, in best ball? Is that a thing you're supposed to do? Spoiler alert, it is. I'm told it is. Uh, that We'll be talking about that later on the show. And we'll, get, we'll, we'll talk to some guys that, like, basically their ADP and saying, like, um, hey, is this guy too high? Is this guy too low? Is he about right? And this is the best ball hot take show. So nobody's going to say about right. We're going to say it's too high or too low. Uh, Beer, you did say – that tournament, that tournament specifically on Underdog, uh, there is a signature best ball mania tournament, $25 to enter, $1 million total prize pool, 200 k at the top. Uh, there's also a lower tier tournament. If you don't want to jump in for $25, you can buy in for $5 and a 100 k total prize pool contest that has $20,000 at the top. They also have other contests that vary from $3 to $100 as well. Check out underdogfantasy.com. You can download the app today, uh, iOS or Android. That's it. Jamino, I didn't mean to ignore you, but just wanted to let the people know about the tournament and uh, also let them know what the format of the show is today. Christopher Jamino, of course, uh, pretty much he has his hands in anything here at RG. If you like what we do, uh, you know, definitely had something to do with it. Chris, how are things in your world? 
being incredibly positive today and feeling great. But look, you're wasting the people's time here. You know, everybody who knows anything that we can help, they already know Underdog is fantastic. It's the best place to, place to play. They already know to use promo code GRINDERS. They already know all these things, Dean. They've listened to so many po- If they're listening to our podcast, they've listened to so many podcasts. Let's move it along. I mean, we have got to get in here and start talking about the plays. The season is upon us. NFL football is here. We're just like completely pumped about it over here. I can't wait to talk about some of these strategies I've been deploying in my best ball contest. And again, the people who are listening to this show, they're pros at best ball probably. And if they're not, they certainly already know to go to Underdog Fantasy to play. They already know to use promo code GRINDERS. And quite frankly, they already probably even know to read under the YouTube box and see that there's a raffle to be had here for some potential core four packages and t-shirts. So we can just move this along, Dean. Let's go. Rotor Runners t-shirts up for grabs. Uh, Underdog t-shirts up for grabs. Core four five-day passes also up for grabs. Uh, after you deposit the promo screen, the promo code screen will prompt up and uh, just type in G-R-I-N-D-E-R-S. That is Grinders. All right. So lineup construction, you know, Again, you guys have been doing this a long time. You guys know how to, you know how the best ball thing works. Some people, of course, play DFS, which you know we specialize here at RG. Some people play season long, but beer. Explain it to somebody like it's their first time playing best ball. Maybe it can be intimidating to somebody. Uh, lineup construction is very, very important as far as the roster. Uh, you have one quarterback that counts as far as their counting stats. Three wide receivers, two running backs, one tight end, one flex, eighteen rounds. Uh, break down lineup construction, and I guess it depends upon like. How many quarterbacks do I want? How many receivers do I want? Of course, it matters, I suppose, the talent of those players as well. Uh, how are you going going about building your lineup there up here? Yeah, the beauty of, of best ball, there's a, there's a lot of different ways that, that you can construct a lineup. So it, it really depends on the strategy that you're going to go into the draft with. And, you know, as I always say, you have to be flexible because you may go in with a certain strategy, things don't go well. And then if you don't know how to react to it, uh, it's just going to be a disaster for you. So all in all, generally an underdog, you know, three wide receivers is really what stands out uh, to me is very important, you know, in this roster construction. A lot of places you'll get two, it'll be more balanced, you'll get more flexes. When you have to start three wide receivers, that's a position that I really want to make very, very important in my drafts. And it's not saying running back is not important. We know running back, the most important position in fantasy football. So, but starting three receivers is something I think people forget about. Uh, and, and it can be very easy to load up on some other positions and forget about that position. And then you're behind the eight ball there. So generally when I'm building my rosters on underdog, wide receiver is very important to me, especially in the middle rounds. I can still grab a running back or two early and then hammer that third through sixth, seventh round is just flush with a lot of receivers that we like, that we're going to talk about on this show. Guys that I'm not afraid to grab above ADP and make sure I get on my roster. So a general build for me is two to three quarterbacks, two to three tight ends. And I say two to three, because if I feel really good about the two quarterbacks I have, if I have Lamar Jackson and, and Carson Wentz, you know, I, I don't necessarily need a third guy there. Same thing at the tight end position. If I feel really good about having two guys, yes, you deal with injury risks when you don't have a third guy, but you know, it's less of an importance to get a third guy there. And then we're running back and receiver kind of the same thing. You know, if I, if I have three stud running backs, I hammer home a bunch of wide receivers. Maybe I only roll with five running backs in that build. If I go with more of a zero RB, maybe I have six or seven running backs in that type of build. So there's a million different ways to do it. You know, everyone's always asking what's the best way to build a roster. I, I don't think there's a general answer for that. The beauty is there's a ton of different ways to do it. And the best way to do it is practice. Take a look at 
What does my build look like when I do this? What does my build look like when I go zero RB? What does it look like if I grab a tight end in the second round? So mock drafting important. If you don't want to sink 25 in the best ball mania, guess what? There's a $5 version where I can take all kinds of different shots, all kinds of different paths here. So a, a ton of different ways to do it. My preferred way, grab running backs early, hammer them right wide receivers in the middle rounds, wait on quarterback. You can still get two or three good quarterbacks, even waiting into the double digit rounds and make sure you incorporate stacks into your builds. And you can do more than one stack. You can, hell, you can do three stacks sometimes uh, if you build things right. All right, Jimeno, what's the least amount of receivers you're comfortable with rostering uh, if in, in an 18 round draft? I mean, se- seven would be too few to me. I just want as many receivers as possible. I, tend to subscribe more to the strategy of getting two, three, four really strong running backs earlier in the draft and and going more of a robust RB strategy. But I look, it depends where you're drafting this year. I've seen plenty of formats and plenty of reasons, you know, to go ahead and start doing a little bit of a modified zero RB strategy or a a modified uh, robust RB strategy. But there's definitely been the majority of my drafts where I'm trying to make sure that I take a volume of wide receivers and a minimum number of bell cow esque running backs. Yeah. And let's say you land on a guy like Kelsey. Are you less apt to have three tight ends? Now all of a sudden you're probably going to have two I, because you're just trusting that Kelsey is going to be the man every single week. And you only did one tight end. So why waste a roster spot? And if you don't get a Kelsey, would you consider three kind of sort of like darts at tight end? Or is that, you know, you're, you're shooting for like eight points at the most out of those three guys. What's the strategy there? How does that depend upon uh, who you have at those positions as far as when you delegate how many guys at each position? Yeah, I think wide receiver is probably the only position where that's not true, right? If I get a stud quarterback, I'm going to take fewer quarterbacks if I can. If I get or, – or even just better quality quarterbacks. And, you know, if I'm purely down at the bottom of the barrel waiting as long as I can on quarterback, then maybe that's where I'm taking three or even four. Actually, I'm probably never taking four. But as far as the tight end position, I am definitely going to take – two tight ends if I get Travis Kelsey or George Kittle as my first tight end. And if I am waiting till later in the draft, I'm pretty much skipping most of the middle section of the tight ends, uh, you know, the you know, four five, six, if I can, and really waiting more towards the, uh, you know, the, the 10 plus range of tight ends in order to get two, three of those guys. Uh, and it's almost always going to be three if I don't have one of the studs. Beer, uh, how uh, much of a strategy, if at all, is it handcuffing your running backs? If you happen to get a McCaffrey or a Barkley or an Elliott, just one of the top studs, uh, do you care about getting a handcuff like, just in case they get hurt or something like that? Or And there's no certainty, of course. Like if they do get hurt, then all of a sudden all that usage is going to shuffle down to them. It could be somebody else or a different split. Or is that just like, hey, roster spots are precious. If my top player goes down, it doesn't automatically mean that, you know, like uh, Tony Pollard becomes this great running back. Maybe he will. But uh, how are you handling that thought process? Dean, I'm not huge on handcuffing. I, I mean, if I draft Saquon Barkley and he goes down, I mean, my, my team's going to be in trouble and it's not going to matter, you know, if I have the backup there. The other problem is sometimes we don't even know who the backup is going to be and this guy's not going to step in to a full workload. You know, and Tony Pollard replaces Zeke. Well, Tony Pollard's not going to suddenly get 25 carries a game. It's going to be more of a committee approach in, in most senses. So, I prefer to grab other people's handcuffs, you know, you know guys like like Chase Edmonds, Latavius Murray, I mean Pollard, Madison. We have a lot of those guys where, you know, not now I'm not just if my guy goes down, okay, I have a guy. I burn two roster spots on that. But if Kenyon Drake goes down, well now I have Zeke and I have Chase Edmonds. I think it's a much better way to go in that sense. So, 
Uh, it feels like you're playing safe with a handcuff. And again, if I lose a, a stud running back, I'm in trouble. And, and having the handcuff is really not going to do a lot to save my team. So it's a safe way to play. I don't play this game safe. I want to win some big money. I'm after everyone else's handcuffs. It feels like that's a way to raise your upside too, siphoning others' handcuffs as well. Uh, Jimino, do you have the same thought? Is there a potentially an exception to that rule, or is that basically just a general thought and that's that? If you're playing these big tournaments, you're drafting to a scenario, right? You're, there's never going to be a scenario where probably both Zeke and his handcuff are going to be the way to victory in a million-dollar tournament. Probably at some point in time early in the season, Zeke's either going down you know, or whoever's handcuff you're taking, you're really playing the scenario where that guy becomes the guy sooner than later, and he's helping you onto success into the playoff round. So you're, you're, you're never really thinking about trying to give yourself a floor by taking the guy plus his handcuff. You're almost always thinking about what could go right for your team and drafting your team accordingly. We should also say uh, no defenses and no kickers. Uh, didn't mention that, but if you guys are new to best ball here uh, on underdog, uh, no defenses, no kickers, just quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, and tight ends, and, of course, the flex spot as well. Uh, we're going to discuss the zero running back strategy, the robust running back strategy. Uh, Beer, do you have one you prefer, and how much does uh, your landing spot as far as your draft spot affect that preference? I, I think that's the key is where you land. I mean, let, let's say you draft, you're, you're in the 101 and, and you want to go a zero RB approach, and you know, you, you're not going to take Michael Thomas. Some people may, some people may – you know, get cute and try to go Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, but you can still go, zero RB doesn't mean I can't draft any running backs early. It, it should should be something Explain like explain that it's not literal. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're not gonna you know zero RB used to be yeah we're not taking any running backs early, but if you land in that top five, it's hard for me to believe that that going outside of some of these running backs is the optimal way to build. So I can still take a Camara, a Zeke at that spot then load up on other positions. You know, and that's really where an early tight end kind of comes into play. And people always ask, when should I get Kelsey or Kittle in the second round? Well, if I'm going in with that approach, I can pull that off because then I can hammer receivers in rounds three, four, five, six, build a solid core of four guys there, then come back, maybe grab more wide receivers, and then start throwing darts at, at these running backs with Antonio Gibsons and Zach Mosses and Damian Harris's of the world where, again, all I got to do is hit on one or two to fill that RB2 spot. So it's not zero RB in, in the sense that I'm not drafting any. I can still have that anchor fill in the other positions and then come back and just load up on four, five, six running backs. And, you know, you hope to hit on one, two, three of those. And, and that's what the, the build is all about. Yeah, I, you know, throwing away, obviously, you got to be flexible and, like, rules change and all that, depending on what the, the draft is giving you. But assuming there's no extreme outliers, you know, the obvious, you know, value plays when you're drafting. Uh, when do you – okay, you draft CMC in the first round, and, you, and you're in your head you're going zero running back. When do you pick your second running back? Probably not till round seven. Is that where you're at as well, Jimino? Not really. I mean, I, I mean, I will wait as, you know, as long as, you know, round six or seven, it really depends on what kind of a team I'm constructing for that particular draft. But yeah, if I'm going like something that's more of a purist zero RB, I'm going to wait that long. But I mean, for me, I, I prefer, I prefer to get a second back somewhere in between there if I could find them for the right price. Yeah. Your understanding of zero running back and of course robust running back. And do you have a preference? And again, I I'm sure it's heavily influenced by where you are drafting. If you take the 10 slot, if you take the, the three slot, it should matter as far, and you got to be flexible depending on what the, the draft gives you. Uh, do you prefer a certain strategy, Jamino, or it's just like whatever is best for that particular draft? Yeah, so I mean, it's a lot of times you're looking at the your one through three hole, and you're getting Zeke, you're getting McCaffrey, you're getting Barkley, and then 
you're coming back around and that two, three turn really isn't yielding uh, like a lot of incredible options at running back, right? Like depending on how your draft goes in between those two spots, sometimes you're looking at, you know, some really, really big, uh, you know, good looking receivers and, and tight ends there on that turn. And you're not really looking at the back. So I, I think it's been natural for people to want to go ahead and then start taking wide receivers because the, the names just look better on the page than, you know, you know, especially, if, you know, in a half point PPR where maybe Austin Eckler isn't as attractive there. You're, you know, you're really not loving the idea of fist pumping Aaron Jones or, or, you know, uh, James Connor around that turn. That's when really looking at the wide receivers tends to be a thing that you'll do. So that, you know, that's why early in the rounds, you know, you might find yourself doing a modified uh, zero RB or, or, you know, robust wide receiver, whatever you want to call it. And then towards the end of the round where you can take two stronger running backs, like you're, you're mixing Kenyon Drake, Miles Sanders, like back to back there. That's really why I've been looking at liking my robust RB teams the best. Do you agree with that beer? Like the best spot probably to go robust is to have like that 10 spot where you can hammer home a couple of running backs right out the gate. Absolutely. You're, you're going to lock in two guys that, that whole cluster of Miles Sanders and Josh Jacobs and Nick Chubb. And, you know, there's a lot of guys kind of in the same kind of tier there that, you know, you start with two of those guys to me is a much better start than, you know, a Zeke and uh, some of these question marks at that two, three turn at two, three turn is a rough spot. It, it's nice to have Christian McCaffrey, Saquon, some of these guys, but that's that's a, a difficult spot in the draft, in my opinion. Plus, you're going to have a long wait in, until that comes back around again. As we know, the turns can be tough. Sometimes you have to be a little bit more. Actually, a lot of times you got to be a little bit more aggressive in those spots and reach a little bit. So uh, it's it's just a tough spot. It makes more sense to go robust RB later in the in the round, even in the middle of the round. You know, the the, the Mixons, the Sanders of the world are there. But it is a nice way to start with two of those guys. Then you can kind of kick that can down the road a little bit and really load up. And, again, this, this round three through six receivers, I can't stress enough, is, is just chock full of guys that I think can outproduce where they're being drafted. I mean, Metcalfs and Charks and McLaurins and just so many guys there that, that it's, it's just the best way to go, uh, in my opinion. So if I can go that route, that's what I prefer. But the key is – the draft has to come to you. You have to be flexible. You can't be stubborn and saying, this is what I'm going to do. Sometimes your opponents aren't going to allow you to do that. You have to be able to adjust on the fly. So, yes, have a strategy going in, but be ready to, to move to a different strategy or adjust your strategy accordingly to the way the draft is going. All right, Beer, a couple of questions for you. Uh, you're drafting last in the first round. You're on the turn. Uh, you're, you're, you said, hey, I want to go robust running back. Ideally – uh, in a perfect world, who are those two running backs sitting there waiting for you where you're salivating? And secondly, for your third and fourth pick, uh, what running back has to be there uh, for you to justify drafting a third running back? Uh, you know, is, Or it's like you've already made up your mind. You're going robust. You're going with three running backs out the gate. So at the end of the first – I mean, I'm big on Joe Mixon this year. I'm willing to take him in the middle of the first round. I know there's a lot of people on the other side of the, the fence of Joe Mixon, and you know the whole argument he's not going to be on a very good team – I think Cincinnati is going to be better than people realize offensively. So he's one and I'm really warming up to Miles Sanders. You know, I, I moved him above Kenyon Drake now uh, starting to get on board there. I know he's dealing with a little bit of an injury. I don't think it's a big thing to worry about. So that would kind of be an ideal start for me. Obviously Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, I think he'll go well before that. So those are kind of the three guys I'm hoping for as far as that third round goes. I'm loving James Conner this season, Dean. And, and, you know, some people are, are are starting to warm up to that idea. A lot of people are concerned. They, they've written him off. He, he's injury prone. 
we've talked about this Pittsburgh offense many a times on this show, and he just continues to move up and up my board. And he's a guy that's a prime target for me. Even late in the second, I have no issues taking James Conner. If he's there in the third, and I can start with three running backs, and he's my third guy, I am loving the way that draft starts. Jamino, same question. Look, I mean, if I can have the two guys that I'm really looking for, I, I'm definitely wanting to have Miles Sanders, and I'm definitely wanting to have Kenyon Drake more than my fair share around that time. And if I can get Mixon back there, great. If I can get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I'm definitely going to mix that into the mix. But the guy that I want to talk about coming back around in that second round, uh, if you're drafting seven, eight, nine, something like that, is Josh Jacobs. Because if I'm playing in one of these tournaments, I, I feel like you know there's, there's going to be a group of people who are just overlooking him you know, too early. They're, they're going to try to let him fall down later into that second round. And I want to try to have that unique construction a little bit. I want to try to take advantage of the fact that there's this narrative out there that he's definitely not going to have any pass catching role, which I agree that there are some signs from the organization that maybe that won't be there. But when you hear him talking about wanting to develop that game and having 60 catches this year, I don't, I don't really care about the speak as much as just the possibility that it's out there, that it could happen. He could just be that good. You look at the skill and talent of the player he could just demand himself be on the field for three downs just because of how good he is. Like you look at the advanced metrics from the rookie year, just incredible from a yards created and after contact standpoint, you know, really showing at such a young age, they can absolutely dominate his position and elevate himself to that top five caliber type player. That's really where I want to take advantage of the narrative and the speak out there and really say, I want to get more than the field of Josh Jacobs. Are you a fan of Jacobs? Are you afraid of uh, Theo Riddick stealing his passes? I'm afraid of the the moves that they've made there in Oakland. You know, and it, it's not necessarily that Theo Riddick's going to be the guy, but they keep Richard, they bring in Riddick, they bring in Booker, they continue to bring in these pass catchers, and, and it just, you know, it, it, it scares me upside-wise. I, I love Josh Jacobs on the ground. I think he's phenomenal. It's kind of the same argument with Nick Chubb. I mean, these guys are great running backs, but at that point in the draft, I need a guy that's going to catch passes as well. Plus, you have the Raiders' schedule. Looks very difficult. You know, it's not going to be a, a cakewalk schedule. They're going to have some tough games. You know, New England, Kansas City. I mean, they, there's some tough defenses right off the bat that they're going to face. And the list goes on and on. You get the Chargers twice. You get Denver. So, it, it's a tough schedule. A team that I don't know how good they're going to be. A guy, I don't know if he's going to be more involved in the passing game. I mean, they keep saying – yeah, we're going to double his, his targets this season, according to beat reporters. But why do they keep bringing in these pass-catching running backs? They draft Lynn Bowden. It's just a lot, of, a lot of concerns with Jacobs. I love the player. I love his talent on the ground. Is that enough to justify a late first, early second-round pick? That's what I'm having issues with. Uh, beer drafting question. You're in the one spot, two spot, or you're in the ten. You know, you're on the turn. Um how much are you willing to reach up to get your guy? Where you, you can look at the ADP list and you can say, well, I'm taking this guy too soon if I'm picking him out. But at the same time, you can say he's not going to come back to me. Uh, you just say, hey, I'm going to get my guy and that's that. Like how much are you willing to reach up? Like, obviously, it's a little easier to manage when you're in the middle. But when you're on, uh, you, know, the, uh, you know, on the beginning of the end, how do you handle that? It just You just want your guy and that's that. Who cares about ADP? Yeah, I think early in the draft, you, you don't have to reach significantly. You know, if there's a guy you like, you know, you like Austin Eckler more than – then Aaron Jones, whatever it may be, yeah, always go get your guys, my theory, especially when drafting on the ends. It's when you get into the later rounds that you got to throw ADP out the window and go get your guy. And I'm not talking about jumping four rounds. You have to be smart about it uh, and making sure it's within you know a round or two. But 
You know, I'm not, I'm not looking at that list and saying, oh, I, I can't take this guy now. It, it happens in home leagues where my buddies are going to laugh at me if I take this. you got to throw all that crap out the window and go get your guy, especially when you're drafting on those turns. You have to be ultra aggressive on, on either end. In the middle, you can kind of plan things out. In the ends, you got a long wait. So you'd sit back, and there may be a run at a position that, that you don't see coming. So you really have to be a step or two ahead thinking ahead, planning ahead, and no problems reaching around two rounds, even three rounds. If that's if that's the case or if I'm building a stack that I need to make sure I get the pieces I'm looking for, I have to reach and make sure I get them rather than gambling on, well, this guy might come back to me. If I'm going in with that stack and I started it early, I can't take the risk of not getting the quarterback I need to finish that stack. Yeah, that's what I was going to get at as well too because the st- you want to complete your stack. And if, it's, if you have to reach up an extra round or two or something like that, but – if you don't get the guy, it completely derails your strategy. Uh, Jamino, same question, the same thought process as far as how that affects your drafting. So, so, I mean, basically, if I'm looking to make a stack, I'm going out of my way to make it. Like, I just ended up doing it with Sam Darnold not so long ago. I'm not particularly <laughs> proud of it. but <laughs> When you can go out of your way to stack up the Sam Darnold, you have to do it, right? Hey, it I, just, I did a bear just, stack the other day, so I know the feeling. That one was, uh, it just so happens. Look for whatever reason, I had to have Sam Darnold because I had Chris Herndon and I had Rashad Perriman. So I just, you know, I wanted to make sure that, you know, because I somehow had those two players together, it didn't make any sense for this particular tournament roster to not have Sam Darnold as as the quarterback there. So I went ahead and paired them up. But a more realistic type of a thing might be where I where I see that I'm on a turn coming up and I see that there's possibly two players available. I'll sort of aim at the player that I know I'm happier to have standalone first. And then if the other guy comes right back around, I'll fist pump it and take it. Jamino, you're uh, you're drafting from the three spot, and we're doing zero running back, right? Take me through your hypothetical first, like seven picks. Zero running backs from the three spot. Yeah. Okay, so if I'm definitely going to end up with Zeke there almost all, every time because it's going to go McCaffrey and Barkley pretty much every time there, so I'll, I'll end up having Zeke to start my draft, and then as we come around into round two. It really depends on the quality of the running backs that are going to be available to me at that point in time. Like if I can, you know, like it's the aforementioned Jacobs, if he's there, I'll be pretty happy to take him. If it's full PPR, I'm going to be happy to take Austin Eckler uh, at, at that point in time. But if it's, if it's coming down to it and it really, I don't really have either one of the, the kind of backs that fits the format there that really makes me excited there. That's where I might pivot and start looking at what wide receivers are coming around to me or even take someone like a George Kittle or a Travis Kelsey. Both of those guys look incredibly strong this year relative to the pack of tight ends. I mean, Kittle with what's going on in San Francisco <laughs> is looking awfully juicy. So, you know, coming back around the two, three turn, it really depends who's available at running back, whether I'm going to start to make my draft sort of the running back and chill strategy, or if it's going to be more of a robust RB. So, okay. Yeah. Let, let, let's say the running backs are, are, are not there. Uh, the running backs are not available that you want and the receiver is popping. So now take me through. So then we're, t- you know, for me, I think I'm willing to take Allen Robinson on that turn, quite frankly, uh, you know, depending, especially what the kind of injury looks like here for David Montgomery. Uh, he's, you know, we're all concerned about David Montgomery's growing, you know, this Dean, but you know, that's going to be a situation to monitor, especially when it comes down to how they're going to deploy their offense. I mean, are they really going to be relying on Cordell Patterson or whatever free agent they run early in, in the season here? Or are they going to be trying to maybe dial it up in the pass game more? That's where Robinson was already getting 27 plus percent of targets last season could 
possibly be the same thing again this season for him, which is elite. So, I mean, there's another guy that I'm not taking there. I'm probably not going to take DeAndre Hopkins very often. I think he'll be there a lot. I'm just not that interested in investing in him this season. But Odell Beckham, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, maybe even someone like a like a Kenny Galladay. Uh, you know, these are all you know, kind of big-name receivers I'm looking at coming around that turn. Of course, Julio if he's there. But, you know, I don't know how often you're going to see Julio. But it's really more about the tight ends for me. Like, if I'm really not going with the running back, I'm definitely wanting to try to see if I can – you know, mix it up there and get a Kelsey or a Kittle if I'm going that strategy. Yeah, Beer, what is the indicator? Because I would assume like you have a thought process and you're hoping for certain things to happen, but if you have to be able to, uh, to adjust on the fly, you're, you're at the one spot, you, you, you pick CMC and you're waiting for to get your second and third pick here. And what do you have to see to say, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go zero running back or I'm going to go robust running back? Like what, what do you have to see? Like what's the indicators? Who has to be there? Who has to not be there? And you have to decide that basically within a couple of picks, I imagine. Right, you kind of have to have an idea going in, like okay, if if James Conner is still there at the two three turn, that's who I want. If it's below that, you, you, that's where you, you have your tiers set up. And you know, if I can get a tier two running back at that point, well, then I'm going to go that route and load up on running backs early, which is my preferred strategy. If I'm in tier three of my running backs, and now you're in that, you know, Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette range, well, then I'm going tight end. I'm going a Kittle or Kelsey, and maybe I start to say, okay. I could put together a Kansas City stack right now, grab Kelsey and go a little bit earlier on Mahomes in the third round and then start getting crazy on wide receivers. Or I grab Kittle. I put Garoppolo in my queue to make sure I grab him. I, I love doing that. When I, when I draft guys in underdog, second, third, fourth, receivers specifically or pass-catching running backs, I'm throwing those quarterbacks into the queue. So I kind of have it in my head, okay, I got these stacks are possible for me to build And it's always there in the back of my head at all times that these are the stacks I can build. And again, you can build two or three stacks into it. And that's the ideal build. If if I could work two or three stacks in there, but uh, it really depends. And drafting from those tiers is important. So there's not running backs that that I like. And they're that third tier. I'd rather go receiver there. I agree. Allen Robinson, I think is undervalued or Juju. Maybe you start that Pittsburgh stack or a a Connor Juju second, third round turn. Just a lot of possibilities there, but Going in with the idea of, I want these guys there. If they're not there, then I'm going to go this route. So just just thinking a few steps ahead rather than just reacting in the moment and going, uh, 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 and, and hitting a button, that's the worst way to do it. Yeah, and planning ahead, like you said, makes a lot of sense as far as throwing those quarterbacks in the queue for uh, to line yourself up for some potential stacks. We'll talk about the concept of soon enough. Uh, beer, ideally in a perfect world, like take me through like your favorite wide receiver in round three, Round four, round five, round six. Understanding how ADP works, obviously. Like, sure, you'd love to get Michael Thomas in round six, but you know it's not going to happen. Yeah, don't be that guy at your at your home league draft. Michael Thomas still available, and you're in the, <laughs> you're in the, you're in the seventh round. Like, no, you just didn't cross him off your sheet. So uh, I'm big on Juju and Allen Robinson uh, in that, you know, two, three turn, third round if they're there, I, I think it's great value. So those are guys I'm very high on. Uh, Adam Thielen uh, in that fourth round range. Uh, both Seattle guys, I, I think, could drastically outproduce where they're being picked. Uh, Robert Woods, a boring name that that I know a lot of people are, aren't overly excited about, but a guy I think has a lot of potential. So he's one. And then Chark, McLaurin, just the names go on and on here. But the main guys for me, Thielen, I think, is a great value this year. Robinson and Juju in that 2-3 turn, the Seattle guys. Uh, and then uh, DJ Chark and McLaurin again are, are guy And Will Fuller, that's a guy I want to – I want to be over the field on Will Fuller. I think there's a lot of upside there. 
Uh, Jamino, you mentioned before you don't like Hopkins. Why? It's just like where he's being drafted. You think he's being overdrafted because people are excited about the matchup there with you know, Murray. Uh, you know, I think there's better spots there. And, you know, round five, round six, what receiver are you hoping is still there for, uh, for you to take? Well, no, it's not where he's being drafted. It's where he plays football. He plays in Arizona, and he's going to play alongside Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk and a team that is in the air raid and that is almost definitely not going to be providing him the kind of target share that he was seeing out in Houston. So I'd be surprised to see, like, the, you know, the massive target shares that made us absolutely love him a year ago. And I think that their, the touchdown distribution could be a little bit thinner than we saw as well. So, I mean, I don't think he's uh, – you know, any lower than like a top 10 receiver, but also when you talk about the price tag that you have to pay for him, I just, I don't ever see the scenario where we're looking at Hopkins from Houston this season in Arizona. It could be wrong, but I would just rather bet on other guys. Just more pieces of the pie to be cut up as opposed to where he's a situation in Houston. That makes sense. Um, round five, round six, what receivers you want? Well, look, if I can get Tyler Lockett still in those ranges, I, I don't know how often that's going to happen, but it's definitely happened several, several times. I mean, that's definitely a guy that I think is being undervalued right now in terms of what he could do in that Seattle offense uh, with Russ, as opposed to the way, you know, the way people are sort of treating him. People love Metcalf and I love Metcalf. I think, you know, Metcalf could very well usurp him as the apple of Russ Wilson's eye when it comes to the red zone and it comes to the deep ball. But I do think that, you know, there's a really good chance that this passing offense is pretty good and that Lockett is the guy that I'd like to see somewhere uh, in round five, possibly round six. Uh, it starts to get a little thin after that, though. Like once you're past your, your, your Will Fuller's that Beer's talking about, and then you're in the T.Y. Hilton, Keenan Allen type of a range, you know, people are, are down on those guys, and rightfully so for various reasons. I think I think Hilton probably could be a guy that maybe isn't quite of as bad a situation as people think. Um, Michael Gallup, there's a guy that just pure upside, right? Coach is talking about him like he's a number one wide receiver. He's in the Dallas offense that should be theoretically incredible this season, have high raw scoring overall upside as a team. They should score a lot of touchdowns. You know, he's a guy who has absolutely, you know, sick downfield ability. That's great for this best ball format. If you're looking for a guy who's going to be able to put 20 fantasy points on the board at any given time. Uh, and plus you've got that upside. If, you know, something does happen to Amari or one of the other offensive pieces where he could just be a complete game changer for you. So Gallup's the guy that I like as well in the format. Now, let me ask you, could I use the same thought process against Gallup? And I like Gallup, but you know, the pie, how it's getting cut up and you know, some Elliot Cooper lamb Prescott will run it in sometimes. Uh, does that, is that one of the, one of the reasons why he's suppressed as far as, uh, is, uh, is, uh, you know, when, he, when he's being drafted. Sure. I, wouldn't built in? I don't know that he's like suppressed. I mean, I think like, you know, that's, pretty much where this guy should be going. I don't, I don't think he's particularly largely underpriced or anything like that. I just think that this, the ceiling on him is, is really high. And I like guys who could actually uncap whatever it is we think their ceiling is based on their draft spot and say, well, could, could we be looking at Michael Gallup as one of the top, you know, 12, 15 wide receivers in pro football by the end of the season? I think, sure. I think you can easily make that argument and it's not that hard to see. Uh, you know, differentiating from a guy like Hopkins, the difference is when you talk about carving up the pie, Hopkins costs you a second round pick whereas Gallup cost you a seventh-round pick. One more name I want to throw out real quick before you pass it, pass it off to Beer. Marvin Jones, man. I, I, I'm, I'm looking Body. at Marvin, Marvin Jones in this particular situation as a primary stat candidate. You can get him uh, in, in that round seven range, and then a couple rounds later you're looking at like maybe a, Hop, uh, you know, a Hawkinson-Stafford you know, pairing coming around a bend, and that's a really nice stack for tournaments that I've been trying to get more than my fair share. It feels like that's one of the easier ones to get, too, and we'll talk about that in 
I know previous shows we talked about uh, how much you guys like Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh stack. Both of you guys are on board with that. And we'll, we'll talk about the uh, why you want to stack teams up as well. We're gonna, we'll have that conversation soon enough. Beard, you're, you're excited. We'll talk about Marvin Jones. He stole him from you. What's up with that? I think you mentioned him pre-show. What do you mean? We both, we, both love, we both love Marvin Jones. There's, pl- there's plenty of room for both of us. But, you know, it, it's very similar to, to the Gallup-Cooper situation. You know, you have Galladay and Jones and, you know, kind of the same range that these guys are being drafted. I will gladly pass up Amari Cooper and Kenny Galladay. In fact, they're two guys that I'm not going to draft because I can get their teammates who put up just as good of numbers at a much lower price. I mean, I, I'll get these guys in the sixth, seventh, eighth round, and I, I just don't need to draft those guys early. So you can still build that Detroit stack without getting Galladay. I think that's another mistake people make is, oh, I missed out on, on the, the alpha receiver. No, you still got the other two guys there, and that's a very limited distribution of targets in that offense. Same thing with Seattle. That's why we like Lockett and Metcalf. There's just not a lot of other guys that are going to get the football. So uh, Marvin Jones put up very similar numbers to Galladay outside of some of the, you know, the touchdown numbers. So, uh, other than that, when those two are on the field together, it seems that Stafford prefers Marvin Jones. So why, why go with Kenny Galladay there? I think Galladay and Cooper are two guys I can easily avoid. I love Gallup. I love Marvin Jones. I love Deontay Johnson at this point in the draft. Uh, you get that Pittsburgh stack rolling. There's a lot of ways you can go with that one. I just there's, there's a lot of name. Marquise Brown, huge upside in the Baltimore offense. The receiver position, yes, it starts to thin out here, but I still think there's some names, especially in this format, that make a lot of sense and give you a lot of upside. You're, uh, you're playing this million-dollar contest, uh, an underdog fantasy. You play to win the game. Uh, Shout-out Danny Green. Uh, at what point, Beer, do we start throwing some uh, – who's your favorite, like, dart, flyer, low, you know, low floor, high ceiling that you're willing to take a shot on, and when do you draft them? I mean, Will Fuller is probably that guy just because of the injury. Hollywood Brown, like I mentioned, uh, deeper in drafts. I, I love Preston Williams uh, as an alternative to taking Devontae Parker in the fourth round. So I, I'm I'm constantly shooting for upside in the drafts. I, I don't think you have to get to a certain point and then say I'm going for upside. I think all throughout you should be thinking ceiling. Who can unlock that ceiling? Uh, Deshaun Jackson, another guy that that's perfect for this format. Some of the rookies that people are afraid of uh, because of the limited camp, Rager and Henry Ruggs and some of those guys that, that have that game-breaking ability. So uh, constantly in the back of your head, not only should you be thinking stacks, but you're thinking who can finish inside the top 20 that I'm drafting at wide receiver 40 or running back 40, looking for those guys, not the, not the boring guys, not the handcuff guys, the difference makers, the game changers, the league winners, as the kids say, those are the guys that I'm looking for. Same question, Jimmy. Now, look, you put Deshaun Jackson on the field, and he makes the quarterback better. It's that simple. He does a lot for the offense uh, with his ability. From reports that I'm reading, still looks like the kind of guy that's got most of the speed he's always had. Someone who's still going to be able to play at the level that we're fairly accustomed to. So, if I'm getting Deshaun Jackson, where we're taking him. This is a guy that people were pretty happy to take a lot higher than this some years ago, playing in an offense that we think is going to be pretty good with a quarterback who's supposed to be pretty good. Like I'm looking at Deshaun Jackson right now. I'm, I'm like looking around, like, wh- like, what are we doing here? Let's, let's go. Like, let's get, you know, we've, we're, we're talking about no Alshon Jeffrey for the most part here. That looks like he's going to end up you know, not being ready to go. And then Greg Ward, for as good as he played at the end of last season, this guy was in like the AAF not long ago. So we're talking about target share being there possibly for him in the 18, 19, 20% range. 
uh, with the ex exceptional possibility of some of those being deep targets and being highly efficient targets. And all of a sudden, I'm wondering why we're not more excited to draft Deshaun Jackson. I don't know. Maybe you can answer this, Dean. Why are we more excited to draft Deshaun Jackson? He's not a shiny new toy, you know? Yeah, and people are always – he's always one of those guys that, like, is, is – he's just questionable every single game, it seems like, you know? He's like a D.Y. Hilton. Like he, he, I'm sure he's played more games than I think in my head, but he feels like a guy that's always questionable. But he usually plays. I don't know, Beer. Are, are you in on, on D.J.A.X.? All of them. This is the format. In a season long, yeah, it's frustrating because of that questionable. Because is this the week I have to start him? Uh, do, do I have him on my bench and I miss out on the big game? That's the beauty of best ball. It raises the value of a guy like Deshaun Jackson. And it's not just for those spike weeks. It's for I don't have to try to decide or decipher when is the week that he's going to pop off because he can do it against anybody. You know, in a season long, you may bench him against a good defense. That's the week he could get 150 and two. So a perfect player for this format. Maybe that's one of the reasons why he's not getting drafted so highly because a lot of people drafting in best ball are coming from the season long and, you know, DFS world. And you're always like, DJX, I don't know. <laughs> like maybe that's what it is. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people are going to use the same rankings that they're going to go to their, their, their draft with their buddies. And it's just, it's a different game. I, I don't think it's drastically different. You know, my rankings are not going to look uh, way different than they would for a regular season long league, but there are some differences like a Deshaun Jackson that will certainly stand out in those kind of rankings. Go ask Chop how he feels about Deshaun Jackson after last year. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he was on the, that, that big team. So that was week one when he won a million dollars. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. I mean, there's nobody arguing that he doesn't have that seal. He, you know, he can justify the roster spot with one play. Like he's one of those guys that can do that, you know? Uh, but it's also, I don't know. It's, it seems few and far between sometimes, but you're right from a best ball format, especially when you're playing to win the game. Is there anybody else uh, in that kind of mold, any other position, any uh, that, that has that kind of variance that comes to mind beer that, that you can think of that, you know, maybe is not as sexy in DFS or it's not a fun roster in DFS or season long, but it is much more appealing in a best ball format. Hollywood Brown. Yeah. Same, same concept. You know, he dealt with a lot of injuries and, and he's, he sounds like he's healthy, ready to go. So I feel better about him in a season long than I would Deshaun Jackson. I mean, he's, he's the clear number one target or one B if you want to include Mark Andrews in that. Where Deshaun, there, there's a lot of guys there. You know, you, there's a lot of miles to feed even with Alshon out. You got the tight ends. You have Sanders gobbling up targets. I think Rager's going to be a lot more involved than people realize. So I, 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 Hollywood Brown's a guy that I continue to move up my ranks just for that same case. I, I do think there's a floor there. Plus, he can pop off for those league-winning games. You got a guy like that, Jabino? So, look, if we're talking, are we talking exclusively wide receivers or can I go running back? any position? Look, Matt Breida is good at pro football. Uh, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like we're going to learn that if we don't know that already. I feel like Jordan Howard really isn't very good. I feel like, I mean, look, he's not bad. And if they, and the opportunity is really what matters. If the coaches in Miami decide they're going to give Jordan Howard, you know, enough touches to make Matt Breida relegated and not that important for fantasy. Well, then I'm going to, I'm going to look stupid. But I have a feeling that the cream is going to rise to the top here. And before too long, we're going to find out that the versatility and speed of Matt Breida is just making this offense more explosive, especially if it's a guy, you know, in there like a, like a Fitzpatrick who, you know, doesn't really like to slow it down and grind it out. Like, you know, we got Chan Gailey as the offensive coordinator now. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm feeling CJ Spiller-esque here with, uh, <laughs> with your Matt Breida, if you will. I, I just see this guy ascending from where people have him preseason into a potential role where we're talking about paying six, seven K for him in DFS or something, you know, like I, 
I sort of have that vision for that being possible for Matt Breda. I don't know if it'll happen, but I do know that for the price tag and, and, and the kind of formats that I'm entering in best ball right now, he's exactly the kind of player that has that standalone value if nothing changes. And if, if something changes, he could be a winner for you. So that's why I'm interested in Matt Breda. He certainly got the athletic for it. The profile athletically is great. Yeah, opportunities king. That's the most important thing in football. Just who's getting the reps, right? Uh, we saw it last year with uh, Patrick Laird. You know, any, any, anybody. If you have the if you have the opportunity, certainly you're, we're willing to roster you. And he certainly seems like a more flexible, uh, more versatile uh, back than a guy like Jordan Howard. Who I don't know. In my head is like kind of the, the three yards in a cloud of dust kind of guy. Sort of an old school throwback. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, is that correct, Jimino? Is that a correct assessment? Yeah, I think people were looking at Howard as more of a, a downhill. Uh, type of a guy who doesn't have like a ton of pass catching skills. And certainly the coaches won't see him that way. Like they'll definitely see other guys on this roster as potential pass passing down backs when it comes to versatility, they're lining up read at wide receiver already in practice. I've heard. So, I mean, it's a situation where you're just, you're, you're going, you know, Howard's underdog fantasy value is going to be where he ends up playing the whole season and getting the majority of the goal line touches and falling in for a bunch of touchdowns, right? That's like really yeah. where you'll see that value. And Breed's value is going to be more along the lines of, He's getting a lot of work in the passing game, and eventually, at some point in the season, for enough games, he's also getting some early down work. Where Where am I drafting him? Where, where, where do you feel good taking Brita? What route? I mean, I'll take him. You know, round eight, round nine, something like that, as early as early as that. Like I'm, I'm not going. I'm not like jumping out of my shoes to try to do it. But if I, you know, if I need a running back, he's definitely one of the guys I'm looking for first. You know, if I if I haven't made that robust RB strategy, or if I need that fourth back. You know, Breed is the guy I'm pretty excited to take in round nine for sure. Yeah, I'm pulling up the ADP stuff, and I think it's just fairly recent here at Underdog. We're looking at 95 overall. So there you go. Uh, Beer, your thoughts on Breed, or you have a guy like that? Maybe, I, I mentioned we were talking DJX, any position. Anybody else, if you, if you want to jump out to talk quarterback or tight end or anything like that? I mean, I love Breed. I'm with Jamino here on this one. I mean, I, I, he's another guy I continue to move up my ranks. I, I have him above Jordan Howard. I have him above Devin Singletary, a guy that I'm – Moving down my ranks, uh, Zach Moss, a guy uh, that I continue to move up there uh, in Buffalo. So uh, the guy that's kind of similar, you have to take a little bit early, that, that fits that, has a role now, and if something were to happen, the role gets massive, is Kareem Hunt. And, you know, and that ADP continues to climb, and, and maybe it climbs too high by the time we get towards the season. But similar, similar type play. You know, he's going to be involved from day one. We know he's going to have a pass-catching role. And if something happens to Nick Chubb, you're talking about a first-round running back that you took in the fifth, sixth round. So uh, he's a guy that I'm willing to reach a little bit on, even with the ADP going up. Uh, I just think there's a lot of ways that Kareem Hunt can get you there and can be a league winner if something were to happen to Chubb. All right, Bear. Ideally, in a perfect world, you prefer going the zero running back route or the, uh, the zero running back route or the robust running back route. Which one's going to take down this contest here at Underdog? I think the robust will. Running backs are important. I know there's a lot of injuries at that position. So to me, the more running backs you have, the deeper you are at that position, the more studs you have locked in there. We have COVID as a concern as well. You know, you could lose some guys to that. I, I just think the stud workhorse running backs are the advantage in fantasy football. No different in this tournament. So that's the way I would rather go. I don't mind some of these other, you know, I'm fine drafting any way the draft gives me, but if, if I could pick one, I want to load up on, on three of these stud top 15-ish running backs and then hammer home at the other positions. Same question, Jimmy. Now. I think it's going to depend on something pretty strange. I think it's going to depend on how some of these monster tight ends, these young guys, 
that you're drafting round 10 and plus, you know, your Noah Fance, your TJ Hawkinson's, your Dallas Goddard's, you know, these guys that are coming in in those double digit rounds that you're able to load up on at tight end. If some of these guys have big seasons and you and sort of get up into the territory or even sniff the territory of like your Kittles and your Kelsey's and stuff, it's not super likely, but if it, if it happens any, in any kind of system, you know, systemic way where you can replicate that production with your tight end crew down there, then I definitely think it's going to be the robust running back strategy that will take it down. And if those guys sort of fizzle out or don't really come up with the big games at a high enough frequency, that's when you'll start seeing the advantage that a Travis Kelsey and a George Kittle can bring and someone who's drafting one, two, three, four and getting one of those really top tier backs and then able to load up their tight end position with somebody stubbly there. I think that's when you'll see the alternative happen. And then that's my current prediction. Obviously you can go a lot of different ways, but that's just how I see it with the tight ends. All right. We've referenced it a couple of times, Jamino. Uh, what is a stack? What, what would you qualify as a stack? Uh, and why is it advantageous to build one? So the, the format of these, of these best ball tournaments in underdog is it, you know, is going to be the playoffs where you have to beat absolutely everybody, right? So when you have players that score points together, a quarterback, running back, and a wide receiver, quarterback and two wide receivers, quarterback, tight end, wide receiver, those players, if they happen to do so on the same week, uh, are going to give you a better chance to get to the top of that leaderboard in those weeks where you absolutely have to get there. So you want your players to work harmoniously together. And if you have a couple of them in your lineup, then that just increases the chance in, chances between those couple of weeks that you'll have the right combination of guys that go off elsewhere in your lineup in addition to that stack. And you're really, you really want the, the correlation that you're getting with more than one player from the same team. Like when that team scores a lot of touchdowns, you can capture as many of them as possible. It's going to be really good for your best ball roster if they're all on the same team. Beer, the, some of your favorite stacks that you are uh, doing your best to make it get in drafts. And does it sometimes happen just organically? Like, oh, I, I just realized I happen to have this receiver or this quarterback. I guess I can get this other guy too. And all of a sudden I have a stack and I know where that wasn't necessarily seeking out. And sometimes, of course, you go into a draft, you say, this is the stack I want, especially in this draft position. How does that work? Both ways. You know, and, and some of the best stacks kind of come together organically as you're drafting. And that that's where just it's always in your head. And that's, like I said, where I put those quarterbacks in the queue and then I can keep an eye on where they're being drafted and, you know, try to build multiple stacks. So uh, both ways, you know, I, I go in knowing where I'm going to, where I'm going to pick. You can kind of map out what the first few rounds are going to look like. And, you know, sometimes you miss out on a stack. So having that, that plan to, okay, uh, in the fourth round, suddenly I get Lockett. Oh, maybe I get Metcalf and Russell Wilson in, in rounds four, five, six. And that wasn't my plan, but it came together. So uh, just being on the lookout for, for any of those stacks, a stack can be as simple as two players from a team or as many as four. I, I don't like to go more than four. Then you're just kind of, you know, five guys. You're really asking a lot. I mean, if it's the Chiefs, the Cowboys, okay. But uh, other than that, it's usually somewhere in the two to four range. So, yes, I have plans. Some of my favorite stacks, Pittsburgh, uh, continue to talk about them. Uh, and the Lions, I, I think, are going to be a, a much better offense uh, than what people are saying right now. And pretty easy to figure out who to take there. You know, some teams, there's so many options, it can be tough to stack. I like these teams, Seattle, another one, like we just talked about, where there's very limited distribution, much easier to stack. Jamina, some of your favorite stacks, and like, how, do you, how does it factor in, again, as far as opportunity costs? Like a Kansas City stack, it's going to certainly cost you more than a, uh, well, like a jet stack that you talked about earlier. Uh, you, can, you can just sort of fall into that and make that pretty easily. Uh, yeah, so some of the ones you're landing on and some of the ones you're seeking out, and how much do you factor in opportunity costs? 
I mean, look, if you like, you know, good quarterbacks that were drafted high in the draft that play in soft divisions, then you might want to take a look at an Eagle stack, right? Like you might want to take a look at how cheap Deshaun Jackson is and how cheap Jalen Rager is, even though his cost is rising, you know, how cheap even Dallas Goddard is, you know, you're probably sometimes going to even have Miles Sanders in that stack. I just think that that's an offense that could produce a lot of touchdowns. That's an offense that could produce a lot of raw fantasy points overall, just the way they play. And if there is a, you know, sort of a big season in line here for Mr. Wentz, a bounce back season, then you're talking about all these weapons are going to get elevated. They're going to have a better situation than what we saw last season where we were looking at Greg Ward down the stretch. You know, this is a stack that I think you can get very affordably. Uh, And certainly don't forget about the Browns. Don't forget about Baker Mayfield. They had a, they had a down year too last year. So uh, necessarily the stacking options aren't as easy to make there, especially since I don't really like the tight end too much, Austin Hooper. But if you have to do it, you know, certainly like Baker, if you have an Odell Beckham team, you can go ahead and take uh, him with, uh, with, with Baker at the, bare, at the bare minimum, and that's a correlation I like. We are up against the clock. I'm going to fire a couple of names at you guys. Uh, Domino, uh, Tyreek Hill, yay or nay? Yeah, I'll do that every now and then because I do love the Chiefs' potential to destroy, so I do like Tyreek Hill. All right, Beer, I'm seeing a list of players that you like. We already talked about Marvin Jones. Uh, talk about Hawkinson. Again, a cheap piece in that stack, and, and word out of camp is he's been crushing it. So uh, we saw the potential in week one last season. He kind of disappeared after that. But what do we know about tight ends, Dean? It takes him two, three years to get acclimated to the league. This guy was a, a top ten pick uh, in the draft. There's only Jones and Galladay really to compete for targets there. Uh, even the running backs, you know, they're going to be involved. But uh, I think he's going to have a clear role, especially around the red zone. And, and think about trying to defend that Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift with Matthew Stafford, anywhere in the red zone. That is a mismatch nightmare. So uh, Hawkinson's in a, a group of tight ends that I think is the way to go this season. I, I, I'm super high on him. I think he's going to have a breakout season. Beer, what do you have for me on Zach Moss? I, I said I just moved him above Devin Singletary. I, I just see a scenario where both of these guys are going to be involved, and I, Moss to me gives you more. He can catch catch passes out of the backfield. He's a bigger back, so he's going to get more of the goal line touches there. I, I think he takes this job and and not relegates Devin Singletary to nothing. I think they'll use both guys, but would not shock me to see Moss be the better part of this committee here. Now the worry and the ceiling gets capped by Josh Allen taking touchdowns away when they get close, but. I think Moss is going to surprise some people. So continue to move him up, uh, and I'll gladly take him over Devin Singletary, who I think is one of the most overhyped, overdrafted players this year. Jamito, you're a card-carrying member of uh, Bill's Mafia. You on board with that take? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I, I'm not really on board with any of the Bills. <laughs> like, I, just, <laughs> I, I can't find myself – I don't find myself taking any Josh Allen where he's going uh, in those middle rounds at the quarterback position. I'm definitely out on Singletary. I think it's more of like a wash situation between him and Moss. I would definitely prefer Moss over Singletary for the price, but I'm, you know, I'm just not really finding myself wanting to take either one of those guys. Uh, I mean, Stefan Diggs, if you're, if you're drafting middle round, middle round wide receivers to quarterbacks who can throw deep balls, like I guess there's a scenario where you could have a big season, but I'm just not excited about any of them. Well, get excited in a second because we got to close strong. It's the best ball hot take show, Jamino, of course, sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. Check out underdogfantasy.com, uh, also the uh, iOS uh, or Android, if that's your thing. If you have the phone, you don't really want to use a laptop. That works for you as well. We know the uh, the million-dollar contest is still going down, uh, not even half full just yet, as far as I can tell. We saw pre-show, still plenty of time. 
so 200 K at the top, $25 to jump in there. And uh, again, enter promo code grinders because Hey, you can get yourself a three, five day four four rotor grinders pass as well as a potentially a rotor grinders t-shirt or an underdog t-shirt. Tomino, it is strong. Give me a hot take. TJ Hawkinson scores more touchdowns than Mark Andrews. Here, see that hot take and raise it. I'm gonna I'm gonna come at you rapid fire again, Dean. I got a few here. Marvin Jones, <laughs> Marvin Jones outscores Kenny Galladay this season. Michael Gallup outscores Amari Cooper this season, and James Conner outscores. Let's see, Aaron Jones, Josh Jacobs, and Nick Chubb this season. Uh, on sheer volume alone, Beer is the winner once again. <laughs> to me, you got to take more than one shot, apparently. But uh, yeah, I mean, I- I'm going to forget the one he got wrong. There's maybe two wrong, but one he definitely got right. I don't know which one it is. Uh, that said, take, take your shot, as they say. <laughs> hey, man, uh, this is Swaggy P thought us, you know, you got to shoot your shot, uh, and you're, you're like this, turning around, you assume it goes in, I suppose. Yep. All right, that's a different sport. This was football. That was Jamino. That was beer. I was Dean. This was Best Ball Hot Take Show presented by No Dark Fantasy. Thank you for watching. We're out of here. Holler. Holler.